This episode of The Matt Report is brought to you by Easy Support Videos. It's a free-to-use plugin that allows you, the agency, the developer, the consultant, to easily embed videos inside of the WordPress admin. Love supporting your customers all over again, this time through video. You can create a dedicated video gallery that they can access at any time. Remind them how to use that Beaver Builder template, make that blog post, or use those custom fields. Support through video is amazing and easy support videos makes it easy. It's personalized support through video, which makes your customers feel so much better about doing business with you. It's easy with easy support videos. Find it on wordpress.org for free or just Google easy support videos. Easy support videos. Thanks for supporting the show. New website coming soon. P.S. It's my plugin. While the life of a content creator might look glamorous on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, it might be one of the most challenging businesses that you can start. See, unlike a services business or a development shop, content takes time and an energy that you must dig deep to find. A practice that can exhaust you physically and emotionally. I mean, this stuff can really knock you to the core. It's not for the faint of heart. You need an audience to connect with, you need to entertain or educate, and you have to do this for years until you start to convert into customers. Don't be fooled by the air quotes overnight success of your favorite YouTuber, podcaster has found. It takes them years, even decades to amass that following. While the road ahead is challenging, it's massively rewarding if you dedicate yourself to improving, learning, and remaining resilient. Today's guest is Joe Casabona, and he's done just that, an accomplished podcaster and content creator building a business out of education and digital services. If you have a moment, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Let's welcome Joe to the show. I help people launch their podcasts. That is what I have whittled down my offering to. For the last several months, people are like, so what do you do? And then I like name everything I do. And they're like, wow, that's a lot. And I'm like, yeah, that's not good when people respond that way. So I just did some soul searching during the pandemic. And I was like, what's the main thing I want to focus on? And based on like some events I went to in the before time and conversations I had with people more recently, I, I decided podcasting is the niche that I want to really dig into. For a while, your day job, I believe you were an adjunct professor, correct? So I guess we can still call that like a side hustle, right? Because I've, I still make courses for LinkedIn Learning. Those are mostly coding. Adjunct professor, I was adjunct at the University of Scranton. Uh, I haven't done that for a while just because I don't live anywhere near Scranton anymore. So that became impractical. I would love to get back into the classroom. But as far as the stuff that I'm promoting myself, right? Because LinkedIn learning, they're like a machine, uh, a well-oiled machine. And I'll like let people know that I have a new course out, but I'm not like actively marketing that stuff. As far as the stuff I'm actively marketing, it's, it's the podcasting stuff. And yeah, I do have an online course membership that I'm kind of working through because my Black Friday sale did I made more money in affiliates than I did in my own sale. So I'm thinking about what went wrong. I don't mean to laugh at that, but I know exactly what you're going yeah, through. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it means that obviously my list, like I have, I have a list where I should have at least sold like 10 mm -hmm. and one person bought at like the last minute. So that offering, there's obviously a mismatch between my audience and 
the membership offering, my a la carte courses still do better, even though most of my a la carte courses are like very close to an annual membership price. So, you know, maybe that's a sign that my audience really is changing to more podcast related stuff as opposed to like the WordPress world. And I'm sure we both have opinions on how money is spent in the WordPress world, but. Yeah, just the Black Friday thing and then the conversations I've been having, I'm like, I'm doubling down on the podcast services. Want to get into uh, like soul searching and where you find yourself these days as as a creator. But before I do what you said that you LinkedIn is a well oiled machine. They tell you which courses to make. And but then you said you don't really promote them. Is that because like, the success of your whatever course on LinkedIn learning it's not up to you to go out and promote, right? It's up to them. They have their channels. They just say, Joe, make the content and we promote the heck out of it. Yeah, it's it's certainly that. It would help. I'm sure they would appreciate if I promote it. And it's not like I don't tell anybody about it. It's just that, you know, they have their memberships. They have these learning paths. And yeah, so we'll talk and I'll propose some ideas. They'll propose some ideas. They'll say, hey, this is, this course needs an update, so we're really keen to get this updated. And I'll usually take that because it's guaranteed to be accepted. And I'll develop the course once it comes out. I'll tweet it. I'll Facebook it or whatever. I'll Facebook it. I'll share it on the socials. I'll mention it in my newsletter. But, it, you know, I'm not taking out ads or whatever. I'm not doing like these deep dives on my podcast about how I built this course specifically. I don't have a content strategy around that because they do, they have that. They, you know, they'll do ads for certain courses. They will cross promote courses and other courses and things like that. So their main, their main goal is to get people into their monthly membership and then they can promote the courses based on what the, what the student wants to know. And that's like, that's the trade-off, right? As I mean, you're getting commissioned to create the content Heck, if you if you were also commissioned to promote it, you'd probably be charging more money. Right? So it's just like I'm I'm here just to create the content. You are hiring me to do this, and then you get some support, right? Because I've seen people like uh, Carrie Dills and a few others who just like, hey, it's great because they help. They, you know, you're not just the only person involved in creating this. I'm I'm assuming there's like a maybe like a director, somebody who's helping you with the curriculum, thinking about ideas, editors, that kind of thing. Is there like a team of people that come together for you or one or two? Yeah, it's pretty great. I have my content editor or my content editor manager. He and I sit down every few months and we think what's in the pipeline? What am I suited for? What do we need? And then I do the proposal with him. Once that's approved, I get handed off to a producer. It used to be a different producer based on if I was going to do this remotely or in the booth in Carpentria, but now everybody's remote, which I think is another reason why they like going with me because I, I have like a booth like setup. But yeah, so then I, I work with a producer. I record the course. I, I'm pretty, they're pretty, I don't know if they do this or say this with everybody, but I'm pretty autonomous in my work, right? Like they, they trust the work I do and the quality of the work I put out. So there's not a lot of hand holding for me. Basically, I check in with my producer every so often. How are things going? Are you way behind? Are, are we on track? And then they just let me do my thing. Then I just record the videos and hand them off. They get edited. They get tested, like quality assurance tested. So somebody or multiple people will go through the course. 
they'll do the exercises. If there's some inconsistency or missing code or something didn't work, they'll let me know and I'll record pickups, like re-record parts to be edited. I've only had to do that once, I think. So basically after I do the initial recording, I probably won't see it again until it's live because they can do a lot of editing trickery to fix certain things. And unless something's like way wrong, I don't really need to, to touch the course again, which is really nice. Let's talk about where, like where you label yourself in your journey. If we had a professional career map of Joe Casabona out in front of us, and I'll, I'll give you my answer first to give you a, a moment to think about this. Where would you say you're at? Which phase would you say that you're at in your creator slash business journey? Yeah, I'm, I've always been very candid with my opinions. I think you probably know that. But I, I'm kind of at the point where the thing I want to focus most on is creating content. And so I need to figure out a way to, to make ends meet doing that. I left my full-time agency job when my daughter was born. I think you and I had kind of swapped at that mm -hmm. point. Uh, so I made the move then because I, I knew agency life didn't jive with the kind of family life I wanted to have. But I also knew that I, I didn't want to go back to the freelance life of trading time for money. So I've been kind of building up services and products over that time to hopefully not need to do that. And it's working out pretty well. I just signed on like a year long sponsor for my podcast, which is insane. It's awesome. the most money I've ever gotten at one time for a podcast. Sponsorship. <laughs> um, and I've, I, so I'm like, I think I'm like 60% full on next year already. So sponsorships like that. But so I, so I'm in, I'm at the part of the journey where like, yes, I want to create, I want to feel good about what I'm creating. One of my projects is WordPress, a year in review. And I will say that while I'm generally, while I was more free or while I am more free with my opinions in the WordPress space and certain people in the WordPress space, I did keep my criticism kind of dialed down a little bit while I was doing the crowdfunding campaign. Sure. And I, when I realized it, I was like, should I feel okay about this? And I'm like, you got to play the game a little bit. The mm -hmm. book I'm that I'm writing that was crowdfunded. I'll have my honest opinions in there, but it, I think the, I love the community and I want to make a community supported product project or product while also trashing certain aspects of the community are diametrically opposed. Even if that's not my intention, right? Maybe right. I'm, I'm trying to be constructive in my criticism. Twitter takes things out of context. I don't know if you realize that. <laughs> <laughs> one of the best things you can do for your brand or your business is to have an opinion right if you're sort of just mm -hmm. like in the middle you're right. competing in a space that is commoditized when you start looking at these broad brushstrokes of content creators are you more comfortable cutting the things that you're really attached to now that you're sort of older in your content creating career yeah it's like a it's like a weird mix right because there's this YouTube video that floats around. It's the general idea that like, if you're not willing to invest three years in an idea to see if it really gets off the ground, then is it even worth investing in? So I used to like come up with ideas and then abandon them in a couple of months because they weren't making any money. And a couple of months is not enough time 
to make any money unless you're already unless you already have a huge following, right? Three years feels like a long time. Maybe if it's like if you after a year it's like you're getting no traction, then maybe it's time to cut to cut and run, I guess. But uh, you know, I, I'm I want to put I want to do due diligence on an idea, so I'm less likely to just start something now. I'm more likely to spend more time on it, but I'm not attached to it if I don't think it's working. So one is creator courses. This is like a scoop. I haven't told anybody because I'm going to mastermind this. The question was going to be, can you give me an example of something you're yeah. holding on to right now that you just need to let go? Yeah. So my Black Friday sale was lifetime access to creator courses. This includes $900 worth of courses and then office hours. I'm working on a membership podcast that I'm going to do for member for members, obviously, and a few other extras, bonus material and things like that. And I've had memberships for a year and a half. I have 20 members. Five of them are lifetime. And I'm just like, I guess nobody wants this. I guess not enough people want this for it to be viable. Like I said earlier, my a la carte, my a la carte courses do better than the membership. So I think I'm I think I'm going to sunset the membership. I'm going to focus on a core set of courses and I'm going to put all of my time and effort into my how I built it membership which is which is going to come out probably in early 2021. I don't know when this episode is going to publish but early 2021. Now I haven't told my members this yet so if you are a member and you're listening don't worry if you paid for the lifetime, you're going. I'm going to fulfill that promise. You will get access to everything forever, including the How I Built It membership. That's how I'm going to reconcile this. And hopefully it's more value for those lifetime members who believed in me. But trying to figure out the right messaging for the diverse set of courses I have, while also wanting to double down on the podcasting stuff, sends too many mixed messages. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling a good story. With the podcasting, I can tell a good story. With creator courses, it's like, if you want to learn just a bunch of stuff I happen to know, become a <laughs> member. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the most honest depiction of, I think, a lot of us, right? I think a lot of people get into it and they're, it's not even, I think some people, I don't know, get jaded to get into, and you've seen this, we've talked about it on a million podcasts before, get jaded into the sort selling a digital, a digital content thing whether it's a course, a book, a PDF, a series of videos, we look at it as human beings running a business. We go, okay, I can, even if you don't believe it, in the back of your mind, you're going, it'll take me 24 hours to record all these videos, do this podcast or do these audio files, write up the summary, put it into a PDF, put it onto a website, and then I can just charge a hundred bucks, right? And then you start doing the mental math. Even if you're convinced you're not doing it, most of us are, <laughs> and you're going, okay, a hundred bucks time, you know, across those 24 hours. If I make 10 copies, sales, whatever, we all do this and it's okay. Like I, when I sort of bash the digital product space, it's not the people who are trying and are at step one. It's that it takes time, man, to learn what the heck it is that you're really valuable for. And it's that, and a lot of people cast away their story, right? How they grew up, what influenced them, what they do, part of their personal life. They cast it away because, ah, that's not interesting. 
that'll probably, you know, hurt my sales. Mm-hmm. I need to I wipe the canvas clean and present this thing in this nice pristine fashion. You know, the t- the top of the iceberg kind of illustration that we all see these days, you know, top of the ice- tip of the iceberg and then below the water is all the chaos. But we only want to present the tip of the iceberg and it's just this natural thing. It's the unsexy part of a business and the creator's journey because the unsexy part is time. It's time. Right. That's how you get better. <laughs> right. Can't you just give me a blueprint? Yeah, I could I could sell you a blueprint. Yeah. You're not going to be happy with what that blueprint says. It's three four letters. It says time. <laughs> have fun. I think people people have always asked me like how did your podcast get so popular so quickly? And Honestly, maybe it was a little bit of brand confusion. I got to be honest with myself, right? Because NPR launched a similarly named podcast like three months later than uh, three months after me. But my podcast in the beginning told the the real story, right? Not like the, how did you make a million dollars and you're so great. It's like the, where did you fail? Like what happened before you got popular or before you struck it big, right? And a common a common analogy that came up a lot in season one and season two was you see the Olympic gold medalist win the gold medal. You don't see them dedicating their entire life to that single moment. And it's the same thing with what we're doing, right? And, and what a lot of your listeners are doing and what a, my, a lot of my listeners are doing. We're essentially training the day when we we find the right set of moves to win the gold medal D- no matter what your gold medal is right if it's like i've automated most of my business and i can spend time with my family or i made it i made a million dollars or two million dollars but part of that is being honest with yourself and figuring out what works talking to your customers and and being able to say all right like this nobody nobody cares about whatever my blogging course but and like nobody wants to pay for a text-based blogging course when they can get it for free. Or the same people who are buying my Beaver Builder course are not buying my podcasting course because they just want to learn how to launch a podcast. They don't want to build a whole website just for that. It's been a learning experience for me. I feel really good about the last few months and and moving into 2021 because I think I have a, a lot more clarity. And mm-hmm. I've actually like talked to and hired professionals to help me with that. And I think that's probably another evolution in one's business as a freelancer is they're, they're actually willing to spend money on the right things. Do you have a certain set of KPIs or things that you're measuring to say, you know what, that is like, at what point or when will you reflect, which I think is one of the most critical yet overlooked processes in, in anything, like taking a moment to reflect and say that was maybe hiring these professionals was good or not good. Maybe the shift into new product or new service was good or not good. Are you going to be much more uh, diligent on that? And 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 when do you think you might do that into 2021? I think I'm tracking things a lot better now than I was. You know, one of I one of my personal KPIs is. When can I when can I give myself a raise, right? Because I think the fir- the the first and most important evolution in my business was paying myself properly. I think a lot of freelancers, at least I, I don't want to generalize, but this is what I did. I suspect a lot of people did that. They would just like spend money on the business and pay themselves whatever they could when they could, right? The book Pro- Profit First by Mike Mc- McCallowitz changed the way I did that. 
and I actually started paying myself a salary and I actually started taking 50% of everything I made and I put it in a separate owner's pay bank account. And so now I know if I have this much runway in the owner's pay, then I can give myself a raise. So that's, that's one KPI, right? Is, is, am I better off in my business than I would be self-employed? As far as the actual work goes, now I'm, I'm better tracking what things are going well. I'm spending more time on the tasks that I need to focus on. I've hired out a lot more. So I think as far as when will I know when things are working, when I have regular sales of specific courses that I'm promoting, like when, when a launch makes, when a course launch makes X amount of dollars, mm. as opposed to like, oh, great, I'm excited that three people bought because that's <laughs> all I expect, right? Yeah. And when I have, and I haven't determined this yet, but like when I have some number of podcast clients, I just had one client renew for a new season. So there's at least a little bit of proof there. But then I, I also, I met with a, a PR expert. Her name's Brittany Lynn. She's amazing. And we did like an hour and a half long session where she learned a bit about me. And then we figured out my niche and how I'm going to go off and promote myself in this niche. So I think as long as I'm getting traction in that area, and then I'm getting leads based on the content I'm creating for this new niche, which by the way, is, is podcasting specifically for authors, course creators, and speakers. I thought that was really perfect. And it's like, I didn't see it because you can't read the label inside the bottle. But so I think probably six months into 2021, I'll know if this new plan is working because mm. I'm getting some sort of traction. And in the meantime, I have, I think I have a diverse amount of income streams that I'm not going to be like totally broke six months into 2021. Congratulations on all that. That's it, it certainly, you know, I like what you said that, that, okay, so I don't know, I'm just going to generalize. Let's say you have a dozen clients for the podcasters, but that, that one person said, okay, I'm going to renew. It's good. I mean, it's better than zero, <laughs> but it's also like a point to say, okay, why let's say these other 11 didn't sign up or whatever, or resign, or maybe it's just not time yet or whatever, but it, at least it gives you a point to say, Yes, there's something there. If there's a, a bigger percentage that didn't sign up, let me break down why. Like, why right. didn't you do this? What do I have to do to adjust? It's a constant game of adjusting, right? And finding the things that work. You know, and it, it's just, it's never done, I think, for most people, you know, unless you're some of our friends who have like productized services that apparently just print money, right? Yeah. While they do, while they complain about their business and yet, and be like, that thing is, you know, they get on their podcast and like, this thing just keeps making money. It just drives me crazy. It's like, I'll take it. Like if you don't oh, want yeah. it, yeah, just send it over here. I launched the done for you podcasting service in November of last year or October of last year. I really used WordCamp US to, to generate my first few leads. And then the long sales process, the holidays, then the pandemic happened. And I heard a lot of where we're going to be a little less experimental going into this, right? Where we, we are interested in this, but we can't do it right now. So I'm sure that affected some things. And me not being able to go to in-person events has also affected my ability to, everyone's ability to network. So that's part of the reason I hired this PR person is because it doesn't look like we're going to be doing in-person events for a long time. I don't think my target audience in the WordPress space is going to be willing to spend 
the money I, I need to make this service work. So part of it is reaching outside the WordPress space. I think there's a lot of factors. And now I, I, I know those factors. A mm. year ago, there were a lot of unknowns that I have uncovered through just trial and error and consulting with people. A little bit ago, you mentioned something you kind of threw in like, and we all know the pricing dilemma in the WordPress space. In other words, people are cheap. <laughs> like we know yeah. that. I was on Jason Resnick's podcast. Well, we recorded Jason Resnick's podcast. I don't know how the time vortex will work as far as when each of these come out, but I realized the diplomatic way to say it was a lot of people in the WordPress space are do-it-yourselfers, but you are right. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> the WordPress space is cheap. The open source communities in general are cheap, right? This is yeah. Android. This is anybody who's willing to to do more because a platform is free, do more themselves because a platform is free, they're probably not willing to pay a lot of money for services that will save them a lot of time. I've been really diving into... I shouldn't even say diving because I, I feel so overwhelmed that I haven't even dived into. I'm just looking at the pool of no code, low code tools, just uh, enamored over, you know, what are the things like all, what can I do with all these things? Just excited to like, look at what the possibilities are with these tools, you know, and then I started researching something because I'm putting together a podcast directory for the podcast hackers group. And I'm like, okay, it's in an air table. Now what? I see the, all these people talk about how you can connect things up to Airtable and mm -hmm. do all this stuff. I want to do stuff, <laughs> right? And I want to do things with it. And I started, you know, reading all these things. And I just had Corey Haynes on. He started Maker, excuse me, he, had, he started Swipe Files, which is like a maker pad, but for yeah. marketing. And he recently put together like this whole thing. And it was like six different tools, you know, to make a widget on his website that showed how many members he had signed up to his, his circle community. And then I was just like, wait a minute, we have six different tools to do this where I think in like the WordPress space is like, oh, I want to connect to an, a REST API over there. I will just code it. <laughs> right. right. And I yeah. think for that's like a majority of the people. So it's like, or I'll just find a free plugin because I'm either going to find a free plugin or I'll just spend the time to build it myself for the technical camp. Not the small mom and pop shop that doesn't want to pay for anything, but like the technical camp, which is right. a large swath of, of WordPress users. And it's just fascinating that in that space, somebody would, I don't know, give up the control of data in the name of, you know, ease of use, right? Because then it's all of a sudden it's like, well, I got these six different pipes to connect this one source of data. I don't control those pipes. At any point, they could turn them off charge me more money, limit it in some fashion, change the way it works. Again, I forget where I was going with this, but it was sort of like a soapbox moment of just like looking at the the differences of what people are doing in WordPress and what people are doing in, in no code, low code. And I would say that they're all very similar people, just different ways to go about it. Some people giving up money for freedom of data, other people saying, now nah, I want the freedom of data and I'll just build it myself. And that's the challenge. I would even argue that WordPress is a no code tool, right? That's, that is, I mean, that's what I've staked most of my courses on, right? My messaging for creator courses is exactly that. It's for the site builders, learn how to yeah. build websites without having to code. I know how to code. I have a master's in software engineering. I've written big code, right? But you don't need big code to make a website for most things these days. Yeah. But you're right. I saw a tweet 
Uh, I saw a tweet screenshotted on Instagram because I am not tweeting a whole lot these days, but it's still it, it's still everywhere. People just screenshot tweets and put them at other places. That said, people are saving money and spending time when it should be the other way around. And that's I mean that's like the that's a freelancer's dilemma, right? They look at their bottom line. And they're like, how can I make myself more money? My one client might be leaving, so I can't spend money on tools. But spending money on the right tools helps you in the long term, right? And and I always I have this conversation with Brian Richards. If if something takes me an hour, I know my hourly rate. And if I'm gonna pay less than that hourly rate for a month of access, then it's it should be a no-brainer. But that's theoretical hourly rate versus actual money out of one's pocket. Yeah. So I think my I think maybe my biggest evolution in my business this year was realizing I I I like the tools. I've been paying for Zapier and and some other software products, but I actually I hired a video editor this year. Cause after doing courses for LinkedIn learning and like just recording the courses and then letting them go and then them magically coming back to me as a good course was very appealing. And my video editor edits hours worth of content for a couple of hundred bucks. That would have taken me days. Now I can launch my course. And as long as I sell a couple, the expenses are paid for. Yeah. And I had extra days of work. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's such an important mental block that I think a lot of business owners need to get over. Yeah, I posted to to Corey actually, and Corey Haynes, and in his in his group, and he and when he gave me the recipe, which were all those all those different apps, he showed me like Webflow and of course Zapier, and then his, his Zapier alternatives and all this other stuff to connect APIs. And he's like, "But I would really recommend you uh, consult a no code professional first and spend some money with them to plot this out." So, on like one hand, like in my brain, I was like, "I'm not gonna pay somebody." Like I thought the point of no code yeah. <laughs> was that I, that even a dullard like myself could smash these things together and make something because if I am going to pay some, I'll just have them build it for me right. <laughs> like in, in software, you know, traditional software, which I kind of know, and I could just give them the actual requisites to, to build it. And then on the other hand, thinking, my God, like, is this a, is the, you know, is this no code just going to be a bubble thing and not bubble.io specifically, but a bubble that will burst. Like this is yeah. like now there's like no code professionals that'll sit down with you. But I mean, you're not really, you're learning, you're not teaching me something that's potentially going to be everlasting, like say like PHP and JavaScript. You're going right. to teach me about, I mean, obviously Airtable will be here for a while until they get acquired by Salesforce. But it's just like, <laughs> you're teaching me Airtable. You're teaching me about a product yeah. that I don't know will ever be here in five, 10 years. Like again, like a, a code uh, like code will be, you know? Yeah. That's so interesting. No code professionals. That's like the first time, the first time I came across it. Yeah. I've heard that. It's so interesting though, because it's like, it's true. Like what, what can I do without any code or whatever? Like here's, here's something interesting. I'm an, I'm going to experiment with this on my live stream this week. So I guess if you're listening to this in the future, you can go to my YouTube channel, but convert kit just rolled out convert kit commerce. And in their products, you can set up a subscription, right? So it's like a Substack alternative almost. And I thought, hey, 
this would be great if I wanted essentially like a no website members only newsletter and podcast. Convert Kit Talks to Zapier. Zapier talks to Castos. And so I'm looking through and I'm like, I could set up a subscription monthly and then they'll get added to some tag or whatever. And then when they're tagged, I can send it to Castos. But they, according to support, and I still like don't believe that this is impossible, but according to support, it's impossible at this point. When someone churns out, there's no way to tell Zapier that that's happened. There's no way to tag or untag a user once they're no longer paying for a subscription, which is bonkers because I thought, well, this is if I don't have to set up like a membership plugin on my website and I can just do everything I want to do, which might not be true, right? Because I might want like a members only page for live streams or something like that. Or I could just have an unlisted YouTube video. But now we're into the part where I'm trying to connect a bunch of different tools to do what my WordPress website can do, right? Like, so that's, but it was just, it's interesting that the games that you can play, I've been thinking a lot about automation for the last couple of years. I don't know how many people are thinking about that, but would it be easier for me to just do that or just to set up a like restrict content pro right. on a website? Yeah. I mean, those are, those are the balance. Like I see a lot of this stuff. Um, Look, we're going to be get, we're going to be going into the bonus round of, of this episode, folks. Uh, ding, ding. Pull, pull up a chair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I look at something like, so the no code, low code tool, I think a lot of it is in the right place at the right time. I think that a lot of people, when they threw their arms up in the air about Gutenberg for WordPress, was because quite literally. You've been at that point when Gutenberg was announced or when it was launched, you've been what? You've been using WordPress at that point for a, for a decade, 12 years, 15 years. I forget what the, yeah. what the number, what number we're at right now. A lot of people are just, oh, the politics, the, 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 the communication, the code quality. No, guess what? I think internally you were just wanting to try something new. <laughs> Yeah. You were like everyone else in the tech space. You're like, I've been using this for 12 years, which is like a thousand years in tech world. Mm -hmm. I want to try something new. And you just use this as your excuse. That's fine. Just admit it. I did it. <laughs> right. <laughs> a little bit was communication and community and control. And a little yeah. bit of it was give me something else to play with. And we find ourselves with this no code explosion, I think, because of all of this stuff, many, many platforms. But like what you stated, now the race is. I mean, you remember when Twitter shut off and, and Facebook shut off access to their APIs? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the API is like the carrot in front of the developers, I thought, I feel right. like, you know, especially in the early days, it's like, look at all this data and you can access it through an API. So everybody builds these things to get more users on board to said platform. And then said platform says, no, the value is in this data. So now that you've, now that you, you brought everybody over, you pied pipered everyone into our platform, we're going to shut it off. Yep. Right. And I see companies like Notion really guarding Notion.so, for those of you that have never seen it before, really guarding that because they know that if they start integrating with too many things, now you're just exporting data to the next thing that can aggregate that experience better than they can. Yeah. So it's this war of APIs from like a marketing product perspective. Don't give them everything, you know, in the case of ConvertKit. Now, you're right. They, I don't know anything about 
what they're doing with Zapier and convert at, at, with Zapier connection at ConvertKit. But like you just said, there's no connection there. Maybe because one, they just literally haven't built it yet. Right. And maybe yeah. it's coming. Yeah. But number two, it's like, it's also a way to preserve you doing things on other platforms that they might be building into their product in the future. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, it's a brand new feature. It's very possible that they just haven't built that in yet. But I guess the crazy thing to me is that they've rolled this out. I think it's still in beta. So, it, you know, maybe it's coming or whatever. But I, like, I can't even basically the only way to have access to current subscribers is to see what products people are subscribed to. And then the only way I could see people who have refunded or stopped paying for a subscription is to actually go into the product and, and get a list. Now, I, I feel like this is a big bonus for them, right? Like it's a, it really is a Substack competitor now, but they have the Zapier integration for certain things. It just feels like maybe it's not a missed opportunity. Maybe it's in the pipeline. It's, yeah. but, I know that I would absolutely love to see a way anyway for me to get a notification that somebody has stopped paying for a subscription, right? Because from the value proposition from their end, right, is if somebody churns out, maybe you can do a follow-up and ask why, right? If right. they haven't unsubscribed as well. But then the the bigger picture is that I can add a lot of value while still using ConvertKit as the e-commerce engine without having to set up Shopify or WooCommerce or BigCommerce or whatever. Sure. Where do you see this WordPress experience going? Do you see places like Elementor just wiping it off the map in the, you know, in the in the not so distant future or full site editing coming Gutenberg? Like what's your what's your gut tell you about like how we're all experiencing WordPress in the future? Yeah, I I think it's hard, right? Cuz this is this is the thing I've tasked myself with thinking about over the last two months in the WordPress year and review project. And I think there's, there's still a lot in flux full site editing, obviously a thing 2021 is probably the canary in the coal mine for where theme editing is or theme development is going to go because that kind of always, you know, it's used the default theme as the starter theme to learn the best way to do things. You have Astra, which is, which just rolled out, a beta version of their editable headers and footers. So part of me thinks like, yeah, people like maybe designers, developers are de definitely going to be doing more theme design without code. But then I start thinking about how I'm a developer and a pretty crappy designer and how I just relaunched and redesigned Casabona.org. And instead of going with Astra, which is one of my favorite themes, I went with a studio press theme. Right. Because they are beautiful and well designed. And the content is the thing I want to focus on. If you make me pick today, I'm going to say I think that full site editing will serve a specific niche. But I think for most users who want to focus on the content and make minor customizations, we're still going to need like full fledged, fully designed themes. You know, block editor be damned, I guess. Flexible content should really be the name of the block editor and not 
you know, full site designer like you see on on Squarespace or whatever. I think it's one of the things I hope anyway is that it it, it will just be known as WordPress in the future. It's kind of weird to say right now, but I think like full site editing, Gutenberg, these are all still project names because they're all still fairly new. At the end of the day, the person who's not like you and me and the people who are not listening to this show are the people who just look at it as WordPress. I mean, sure, they ask right. the question because right now they're kind of forced to. Is like, what's this Gutenberg thing that I'm hearing about? Maybe they see it in a help doc. Maybe they signed up to a hosting service that had a built-in theme and they saw it somewhere along the line. But at the end of the day, I think most of those people, the, the biggest user pool of WordPress are the people who are just like, oh, it's it's just WordPress. Maybe it's just you and I who are, are wrestling over the fact of all these like project names, code names or whatever. In a few years, it's just WordPress. I mean, at least I hope that, you know, that's the thing, you know, for the future. Do you really see, I'd imagine your guesstimate is that these page builders like an Elementor, they have no choice. There's this vicious cycle, right, of which I just riffed on in my podcast I just recorded, where products start small, let's say Elementor. Hey, it's a site, it's a page builder. You're building a page. You got things you can drag around, you can do all these things to where Elementor is fast forward three or four years later, where it's a suite of marketing tools, <laughs> right? You have you have pop-ups, you have forms, you connect to other services. Again, like I think there's no other way to grow a, a product like an Elementor, uh, a company like Syed's awesome motive collection of tools, there's no other way to grow, continue to grow other than owning the platform, having a hosted service. Do you feel like once you get to a certain point, WordPress, and you look back, WordPress was just a nice little springboard to a bigger opportunity? Man, that's a deep cut. Uh, I, I, it's tough. It's tough because as a developer myself, I'm I'm still looking to WordPress for a lot of my own platform stuff. And now I feel like we're in a little bit of a a, a digital footprint renaissance where you can use WordPress to replace things like Patreon. You can use it to replace things like Teachable or Kajabi or whatever. So I think in the, in the near future, people are going to want the easiest solution. If WordPress, you know, if there's some service software as a service that uses WordPress as the base, WordPress plus restrict content pro WordPress plus learn dash or whatever. Right. I think Jonathan Denwood does something like that where he offers managed hosting and, and it's an LMS, a WordPress based LMS out of the box. I guess I'm really moving towards the the answer is yes to your question. Mm -hmm. WordPress is going to be a, a springboard to something bigger where you have these bigger companies using WordPress as the base for something for some service they offer that is that makes it easier for the niche that they're going after. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, it, it does. Always interested to get people's feedback. A lot of people say that now, like, you know, Elementor will always need WordPress, which is probably true, but I can certainly envision a world where it's just you go to elementor.com just to run a website. It's not a yeah. WordPress website. I mean, I mean it I might mean, be WordPress behind the scenes. Exactly. But they it are might... certainly not promoting it. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's like saying all cars 
are going to, well, I guess all cars are going to need an engine is not even the best example. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> all planes are going to need a propeller, right? But nobody right. cares the brand of the propeller on an airplane. Right. They just hope that it stays in the air. So yeah, WordPress might be the engine underneath of the propeller for a lot of these services. But I think you're right. Like, and we're starting, I mean, we see it a lot. There's like podcast websites, which I guess is a competitor of Castos, but they use WordPress as their underlying system. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think you're, you're right. Like WordPress eventually, hopefully if we see something more predictable for the enterprise, as far as updates go and people not just dropping a bomb in the middle of a release candidate cycle, I just wrote about WordPress 5.4 for my book. So that's fresh in my mind. <laughs> you know, if, if, if Francesca, Francesca Morano's proposal to bring the WordPress development cycle more in line with industry standards, I think we'll definitely see something like that because then bigger organizations and bigger businesses who, who can, will be able to predictably stake their business on WordPress without having to go, what is this next update? We can't update to this. How is this going to affect our business, right? What are your thoughts on, this will be the final final question as we move into a nearly an hour long uh, discussion. What are your thoughts on, you know, looking at, again, back to this whole vicious cycle thing of, of software and corporatization of, <laughs> of software, Salesforce picking up Slack for $27 billion. Salesforce also invested I think roughly a year ago, I think, yeah. roughly, uh, 300 million bucks into automatic. So I put out a tweet the other day and I'm like, hey, so what is everyone going to switch to, right, from Slack? <laughs> Anyone who's remotely a competitor to Slack, excuse me, to Salesforce, right? If you're like a uh, close.io or, you know, anyone who's building a, CM- a CRM or sales CRM, which is a huge, huge industry, and they use Slack. They're going to get the hell out of there now because literally mm-hmm. Salesforce could probably see their data. Right. Right. Um, so they invest 300 million bucks into automatic looking for alternatives. I see people saying things like matrix. Then I come across an article that automatic invested for three to 4 million ish dollars into the parent company of matrix. It's almost like Salesforce's money right? because the 300 million of Salesforce money went into automatic automatic then gave 3.4 million to matrix, which is a competitor to Slack. But guess what? Now Salesforce owns Slack. It's this vicious org chart of ownership and corporatization. Do you think WordPress goes public? You know, has this, I have this crazy conspiracy that wordpress.org, you'll go there one day and it'll be purchase WordPress or download the free version. Mm-hmm. Do you ever see it going into that space? What are your What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's got to, right? Like there are there are many investors in. Okay, so there are many investors in automatic, right? And we don't want to. We, you and I, don't want to <laughs> confuse uh, the idea that automatic and WordPress are synonymous. Even though I'm sure automatic doesn't really care that much. Nope. So. I mean, so automatic has to go public, right? Like there's, there's no way they don't, or they, or Google buys them or whatever, right? Like as far as, as wordpress.org, I don't know. I've never had that thought, but also uh, the CEO of automatic has a whole lot of control over the open source project. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that 
I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. I don't want to see it happen, but I yeah. don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. Because if they go public or especially, I mean, geez, especially if a company buys them and that company now owns the WordPress trademark, you think they're not going to capitalize on WordPress.org using the trademark or whatever? Like it's so I, I, I don't know. I, I fear that that automatic and WordPress.org are inextricably linked to the point where when we do see an IPO or an acquisition of automatic, it will mean big changes for the open source project. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and how's that for a politician's answer? <laughs> <laughs> the reasons why I love WordPress is because it is that last bastion of hope I feel for that just ownership of content of data and, and, and a core framework to do many things with. I've talked about this before. I feel like it, it, it can enable somebody an opportunity to make a living that otherwise could not. Right. right. Like if you were ever right. to fast track the, the learning of development and programming, you know, if you ever wanted to go into underserved cities and towns or rural areas and you said, hey, a great service would be to learn how to write, communicate, develop websites, learn software. You could walk in with WordPress and say, it does all of this. Let's teach you to let's this is the fishing part. Let's teach you to fish so you can eat for a lifetime. I feel like WordPress is that that little guide that can help spawn all these different areas so far. I mean, and if it ever goes away, it's going to be a sad, sad day. I think before we, we wrap up, one more quick thought is I thought about kind of the inoculation effect of of what would the counter argument to what I just said be? And the counter argument would be, well, WordPress is open source, so it will always exist in some way, shape or form, right? Except like the GPL has never really been litigated. Like what's to prevent somebody from some owner of the WordPress trademark from just changing the WordPress license to something more proprietary? Who's going to who's going to challenge that in court, right? Again, I don't think it's going to happen, but these mental exercises are always kind of fun to go through and horrifying. Yeah, I'm not a lawyer. I don't even pretend to play one on this podcast. <laughs> His name is Joe Casabona. Joe, what do you have going on in life? Where, where can folks find you connect to connect? What can they buy from you? Where do you want to send them? Yeah, you can head over to Casabona.org. That's where all of this, you'll get a nice little rundown of the stuff that I offer, starting with the free offerings all the way to the consulting. But my main service is, is called Podcast Liftoff, podcastliftoff.com, where you can buy a course on how to launch a podcast, or if you're not a do-it-yourselfer, hire me to do it for you. That's that's what I'm focusing on in 2021. So Marreport, Marreport.com, Marreport.com slash subscribe. Join that mailing list. It's the podcast for the resilient blue-collar digital worker. I don't know. I'm just, it's, this is a new phrase I'm working on, Joe. I'm working it out. I'm like a stand-up comedian. I'm just getting out there, shooting my you material know, off. Trying to get I heard to you try that out in, a, in an earlier <laughs> episode. I liked it. <laughs> trying to broaden our horizons here. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you in the next episode.